How we doing? Yeah, hallelujah. Check it out. It's going to be a great morning. We want to welcome all of our first-time guests here. Wow, we're stacking here. This is great. Uh, if you are a first-time guest, we, we do really want to welcome you. And we want to thank you for joining us today. Um, we're just a big family here seeking God together. And uh, you came on a great day. In fact, a great month. We're doing uh, Missions Month this, this week or this, uh, this whole month of November. And uh, highlighting, we have, we've highlighted the persecuted church. We had um, a missionary from uh, a missionary from another country who's been called to the U.S. And this morning we get the great privilege of having missionaries from the U.S. Uh, called to other countries. And so let me introduce them this morning. Uh, Jeff and Barbara Singerman. So, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about them. First of all, they're my parent-in-laws. <laughs> yeah, my baby was just this is my parents. Going on those mission trips. Yes, yes. And that's how we ended up getting married. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, God does a lot on those mission married. trips. Hallelujah. So, uh, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about Jeff and Barbara here. Um, before I had a crush on my wife, I had like a man crush on Jeff here. Yeah, so he had, I mean, uh, both Jeff and Barbara have been on the mission field and they weren't been in for over 23, 25 years? 24 years. In Benin, and uh, they were called there. And I've been a part of a lot of mission trips all over the world, but to see um, a family going hard after the heart of God, not just sharing the gospel, but raising up leaders, indigenous pastors going out. In fact, by the time God had called them out of Benin after 24 years, pastors, uh, local pastors, were sending other local pastors to these unreached people groups uh, in the U.S. And so. Yeah, Griffin's got to be with Mammy and Pepe here. And so, yeah, seeing local pastors being sent out. And, man, God had just done an amazing, faithful work. Hundreds of pastors and churches started. Uh, and, Mom, you never know because they walk with a humble servant heart, championing champions in the faith Mom and Dad have. And uh, so I went out there to intern or really just kind of shadow Dad for a month. And uh, that's when I started crushing on Carrie Hardcore. So, uh, yeah, I got... God does a faithful work. But uh, now they are um, they're overseeing the Sub-Saharan African group, and they're based out of the DRC in the Congo. And uh, yeah, and just to give you a little history too, last spring, uh, they were just in an accident. And um, you know, they've sacrificed so much, uh, leaving the comforts of home and friends and family. And the mission field is not easy. There's always... Um, Cultural barriers, there's uh, just new things to explore, but when you experience an accident or the loss of life, especially over there, it can seem especially lonely. And so to see God work through their lives um, through that, uh, and just in family and friends, it's been an amazing reminder that we're all called, and we have a very short period of time on this earth, and so let's make it count. Amen. So I just pray that God speaks to us through Mom and Dad. In fact, let's pray that this morning. I look at it. Lord, I just pray over mom and dad this morning that you would speak mightily and boldly through them. A truth, Lord, that resonates and speaks to the deepest recesses of our hearts. An invitation to be with you wherever we are. And maybe even calling us to places where we would never dream of going, imagine, or even want to go. Lord, I just pray that uh, your mission just resounds, uh, reflects your heart as mom and dad speak this. And that you give us hearts to receive this message, ears to hear, and eyes to see you and you alone. 
So bless them this morning, and we thank you, God, for this opportunity. We thank you so much for our baptisms this morning, and just simple acts of obedience changing history everywhere around us. We thank you for that, God. We're praising the mighty name of Christ Jesus, everybody said? Amen. Good morning. It's great to see you all. Isn't coffee wonderful? Yeah. So, go on a mission trip, find a spouse. That's kind of what our, we're talking about today. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Except we do something in our, and one of the languages we learned in, in, um, in our travels in Africa, living in Benin, we learned a tonal language, which means if you say, yee, with a high tone, it means go, go away, get lost. No, I did that backwards. It means, here, take this from my hand. Receive it for me, and ye means get lost, go away, we don't want you here. You understand that? Okay. Ye, yeah, you do a response here. Ye means, here, take this. Ye means go away. See, if you say ye when you mean to say ye, and ye when you mean to say ye, you may be giving away something you never meant to give away or chasing a king away, which is not a good thing to do in a voodoo society. Yeah, that's how we got a son-in-law. That's how we got I said ye instead of ye. Tones are important. Yeah, watch yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, language is important. Yeah. Uh, now you can be serious. Now we're be we're serious. one month shy of 30 years as being missionaries. Yay! Okay, so much fun. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a privilege to be here today. And, uh, you know, I, we've got baptism coming up and we've got time constraints. And so we want to jump right into this. The Apostle John wrote in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9. He, see, he saw a vision. God gave him a vision. And he said he looked down and he saw a great multitude that could not be numbered. People from every nation and language and tribe and people gathered around the throne. Well, how is that going to happen? How will people from those four corners of the earth be gathered around the throne of God unless you are engaged in the mission of God? You know, we serve a missionary God. Right from the beginning, he was on mission. And now, as believers in Christ, we are a part of that mission. There's a pastor named J.D. Greer in, uh, at the Summit Church in North Carolina. He has a great quote, and he says this. Do what you're good at for the glory of God, right? We know that everything that we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever it is, we're to glorify God in that. Do whatever you do for the glory of God, but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Does that make sense? We need to do what God's called us to do, whether it's a lawyer, what we just heard in the, in the uh, video, lawyer, doctor, teacher, garbage collector, student, whatever it is. Do what you're good at for the glory of God, but figure out where that is strategically to be on mission with God. That's super important. We were, uh, I was out in the villages of Benin where Josh met Carrie back a long time ago. And uh, we were doing mud hut to mud hut evangelization. And uh, we've got some pictures back there on the back table there. And you can see exactly what we're talking about. The, uh, the clay there, the dirt there in Benin looks like Georgia clay. So it's red dirt. And they build these mud huts and they have thatched roofs. And we're out there sharing Christ with people, trying to get them to be part of that multitude the Apostle John is talking about. And as we were going mud hut to mud hut, an old man came out of the hut. He was old. In, in Benin, uh, the average age of death for men is 50 years old. It's amazing. He was older than that, and he didn't have many teeth left in his head, and he was smoking something like a corncob pipe. And I told him, we were here to tell you about the one true creator God. And we say that because Benin is the birthplace of voodoo. 
And so uh, we have to distinguish the God that we serve and the God that we're talking about with the gods that they serve in, in worship. And so uh, I said, we're here to tell you about the true, one true creator God. And he said this. He said, we know there is a God. We know that he has a plan for our lives, but we just don't know who he is. Can you imagine that? He knew that there was a God that needed to be served in worship. He knew that there was a God that had a plan specifically for his life. And God has a plan specifically for each of your lives. But this guy didn't know who that was. And so how are people like that going to hear unless you are called, unless you're obedient to do what God wants you to do? So we have the Great Commission, which says, go into all the world and preach the gospel teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always, even into the end of all things. And we all know that scripture. You know it well. And I remember one time when um, Harry's older brother, Ryan, was saying, Mom, you know, the Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's a command. And it's not a command just for full-time career missionaries. It's a command for each Christian to engage the world. And it's for you to figure out how that looks like, how that looks in your life through your obedience to Jesus Christ. And so what is it that God wants you to do? Right now, right where you are here on Rock State University campus, who's going to tell the guy in biology class that doesn't know about Jesus unless you speak up, unless you become a witness for him? And again, God wants us to know who he wants us to know what he, what we are supposed to do for him, and to be obedient to that calling. Now, I was a, I was a student. I, I uh, came to Christ when I was at the University of Tennessee, so about the same age as you guys. And when I came to Christ at that age, I thought I understood what lordship meant. And lordship means that if God asked you to do something, what's the proper response? Yes, Lord. Yeah, exactly. So if God is your Lord and he asked you to do something, the obedient part is to do whatever he asked you to do. Well, I went to seminary at Mid-America Seminary in Memphis, Tennessee. We always had missionary speakers, kind of like what we're doing today. And at the end of those missionary speaker times, they would always have an invitation for people to come forward and uh, surrender to the calling that God had on their lives. But I never did that until one day a man said, look, don't wait on lightning to strike. We have the Great Commission. Barbara just shared that. We're to go into all the nations, uh, making disciples. And so he said, don't wait on a, an extraordinary calling. We have that calling right now. We're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Don't wait on a calling. But he said this, simply knock on the door of missions. And if the door opens, then walk through that door. And so I thought, well, that sounds pretty pragmatic. That sounds pretty practical. So I went home that day and told my wife, uh, how would you like to get in touch with the mission board? And I thought some strange alien had taken over my husband's body. We had never, ever talked missions. Uh-uh. That wasn't on the plan. It wasn't the goal. I looked at him and said, you can get in touch with the mission board, but we're not going to be missionaries. You can see how well that would work out. Yeah. Um, but see, there's a little history behind that. I mean, I gave my life to Christ when I was a little girl. In fact, my mom and dad, Carrie's grandma and grandpa, are sitting right over there, great-grandma and grandpa to Griffin and Shepard. Um, and when I was a little girl, about five years old, my mom was trying to reach my older brother for Jesus, and she got me too. And it was real. I knew what I'd done. I knew I'd given my life to Christ. It stuck. It took. I knew about confession of sin and all that stuff. 
anyway, my dad and my mom, he's, he's a pastor, um, retired now, but he still preaches. If you get close to him, he'll preach at you. Anyway, um, he, when, I, when I was a little girl, they used to always have missionaries into our church and missionaries into our home. And I found out that missionaries had, <clears throat> had to get lots and lots and lots and lots of shots. <clears throat> you know, probably at your age, when you go to see the doctor, they just give you this gooey, sweet-tasting medicine. Well, they didn't back then. Every time you walked in the door, you got it in the hiney, and it wasn't fun. It hurt. <laughs> so I decided that when I heard they had to get shots, I just pushed it off the list. It wasn't disobedience. It wasn't rebellion. It just didn't exist for me. So and when Jeff comes and says, hey, do you want to be a missionary? I'm thinking, you're nuts. It's not even on the list. It never was. And, and to, to do a caveat, would it be on your list if the name of your doctor was Dr. Frankenstein? That tells you a lot about That's Barbara. a true story. It was my doctor. It really was. Yeah. So anyway, God ended up calling us to a little country called Benin on the west coast of Africa. Like I said a minute ago, it's the birthplace of voodoo. But before he goes on any further, which he gets annoyed when I do this. Um, anyway, I had to come to a place of surrendering. God did call us very specifically to the mission field. But I realized that I had a whole mess of goals and ideas for our lives all planned out. And I had to die to that and be willing to be called. And as soon as I died to all that and just let it crash and burn before the Lord and surrendered to him completely, then all of a sudden the call started coming. And it came through lots and lots and lots of scripture where we could turn to the Bible and say, this is our calling. And if we didn't have those scriptures holding us on the mission field, we would not be there any longer because it is awfully tough. It is tough, but it's fulfilling. It's worthwhile. It's it's uh, amazing. it's amazing to be doing what God's called you to do, whether that's right here in Dayton, Ohio, or over where we live now in Kinshasa, DRC, a country uh, for, or a city where we live now. It's 14 million people. Over twice the population of uh, Ohio lives in the city that we live in. But that's a whole other story, too. So we were called to Benin, and it was the birthplace of voodoo. And we were sharing uh, Christ with people that had never heard. And so voodoo priests would come to Christ. Sorcerers would come to Christ. Now, voodoo, you know, you've heard of that being in New Orleans or, or Haiti. And actually, it came to Haiti through the slave trade way back in the 1700s, 1800s. And that, that's how voodoo came to, to Haiti. And so we were sharing Christ with people that had never heard and the transformation is amazing and was amazing. There was a young man named Mesmer who was a sorcerer and uh, uh, he had to be required to give blood sacrifices to the gods that he served. But he came to Christ and he became an evangelist. So imagine that, a former uh, sorcerer becoming an evangelist. And we were there in open, open air evangelistic uh, services with him. And he would stand up in front of a crowd of voodoo worshipers because that's where the people were there in Benin. And he's challenged them. He said, look, I'm going to expose some of the secrets of what sorcerers do. And he says, I know some of you aren't going to be happy with what I'm doing. And here's, what, here's my challenge to you right now. You go back. You leave this crowd and you work your best voodoo magic against me. And if I'm here tomorrow night to continue in this evangelistic crusade, then you must give your life to Christ. There was a power struggle going on. There is a different. There is darkness and there is light, and there's a distinct. There's a distinction there in Benin with that. 
And so people left the crowd. We watched them leave. But then the following night, Mesmer is there and he's preaching. And people are giving their lives to Christ. And it's amazing what the power of God can do in the life of a person transformed and totally committed to that calling. And we want you to know that is real. You might not see the power struggle. You might not see the demonic powers at work. But the demonic powers are real. And the Benin worshipers who worship voodoo, they are sacrificing goats. They're sacrificing chickens. Sometimes they're still sacrificing people in secret to demonic entities to give them power. But the creator God can never be overcome by the creation, can he? He's always the greatest. He is always the power. And the power of God overcomes satanic power every single time of walking in obedience and in, in his authority. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Where do you want to go, Jim? Okay, so here's a story for you, too. When these young men, we were preaching, we have shared Jesus Christ in these mud hut villages with people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And we were working in this one little village, and we're telling them the stories of Jesus Christ. It's a village of Gandaho. And most of the people in the village are of the one family, the Miko family. And they are voodoo worshipers. Well, out of that grouping, out after they hearing the stories of God, who God really is, they stood up and they heard the stories of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. We had 11 men at night with a lantern on the table, with people hidden in the shadows, listening of the dirt with the mud huts around. And they said, we will serve the Lord, and our families will serve the Lord also. And they didn't even know the verse from Joshua. They never heard the verse from Joshua. But then these men started, we started a little church there. It was a bamboo church, and they were coming faithfully to church. But they have these big family voodoo meetings, and these big family meetings that you have to go to all the time. And to the young men about your age... They came, their Mikos, they came to the church service rather than first going to the family meeting because they put Jesus first in their lives. Are you willing to put Jesus first? How much are you willing to stand up for Jesus here on this campus? How much are you willing to stand up for Jesus right now in this crazy American society that uplifts everything but Christianity? How much are you willing to suffer for Jesus? These young men, they, they went to church and then they went back to the family meeting. And Marisino, who is a voodoo python dancer and her husband, who's a python worshiper, they picked up boards that had rusty nails in them and beat these young men. So much so they had to call us. The other Christians called us and said, Pastor Jeff, you need to come because Francois is in really bad shape. And so Jeff went, and he, he picked up Francois, and we had to put him in the hospital. We paid for his medical bills. And after this time, he and his brothers, even the, one, the other ones that were beaten, they went out all over a people group called the Aizo, who had never heard of Jesus, and they're church planters. And now amongst that people group, amongst the Miko people, there are 12 men Preaching Jesus Christ where there weren't any Christians at all. Because they're willing to suffer for Jesus Christ and be faithful to his calling to tell others about Jesus. Yeah, that obedience to calling is a daily decision that we must make. 
Every single day, you've got to decide whether you're going to walk with Christ or you're going to deny Christ. And that's true in all of our lives. God always has a next step of obedience waiting for you. And he's simply waiting on your yes in order for you to be obedient. So after 24 years in Benin, uh, God began to work on our hearts and we, we felt like uh, our time there was done. We were called to go to Kinshasa, Congo. And one of the things that spiked that interest in us was on a... On a vision trip that we had down there, we ran into some Mennonite missionaries who had just come from the interior, the jungle there. The Congo is a massive country. It's about the size of the United States from the Mississippi River all the way to the East Coast, to the Atlantic Ocean. It's huge geographically. And you can't get many places by car, but by plane. These young men had gotten in an airplane and flown a couple of hours into the interior, and they thought they were going to be doing some training for some church leaders there, about 50 to 75 people. When they landed, 300 people were waiting for them at the little grass airstrip. And when they got on the airplane, they began to ask, well, where did you all come from? How did you find out about about this? And, and uh, about 50 people responded, we heard through the grapevine that you were coming to do some training and some teaching, and so we walked for two weeks to get here. Can you imagine? Sometimes we won't get in our car when it's cold and rainy outside to come and worship, yet they were willing to walk for two weeks to sacrifice their families, to sacrifice their health in order to get there to hear the Word of God being taught. And these, uh, these missionaries told us you can multiply that scene a hundred times or hundreds of times all across Congo, and that's one of the things that got us to go there to be involved in missions in the country of Congo. And the country of Congo is a very interesting place. It had many, many, many missionaries in the past. But we had a problem with the lack of discipleship. And what happened is, at one point, all the missionaries had to pull out in the early 90s because of all this, the wars. I mean, they, they liked to kill each other there. And, and that's where Ebola started, and that's where um, eight days where AIDS started and other nice things. We do still have Ebola in the country, but we haven't been near it. It's fine, so you can shake our hands. We're okay. Um, they weren't sure about it when Jeff went to the doctor the other day to get his arm checked on. They, the, the, the computer screen flashed, and they said, you have been to Congo? Well, yeah, we live there. Have you been near any dead bodies? No. Have you, have you been to any funerals? No. Yeah, because they wanted to love us and clothe. Never mind. They wanted to make us... Yeah. yeah, they're just kind of looking at us. They want to sterilize us because they're afraid of us, but we're okay. Um, they decided they're all right. Um, so anyway, you know, this is a, a very interesting country, and the people have gone away from true Christianity. They're selling Jesus because they're so starving. They're actually hungry. They have no food. They have no work. They have no money. And so they're going to these false preachers who are actually men just serving demons and saying, yeah, if you give me, we even heard a guy yelling into a microphone, do you want peace? $10. Do you want good health? $8. So they're selling Jesus in pieces and they don't know the true Jesus Christ. If you don't know who the true Jesus Christ is, you can be sucked in by a false demon who calls himself Jesus. Be careful. Know your word. Know the Bible and live it. And be discipling and be discipled. In fact, how much time do I have to leave? Stop. Seven minutes. Okay. So in the country, 
We have 30 years of God stories. When when um, when Joshua says, you know, uh, seeing things happen, we have been the rare missionaries who have actually seen God move and move and move and move and move. Where we can look back, we can look back on our obedience and say there have been thousands and thousands of people who have given their lives to Christ because we said we would go. Simple obedience changes history. Anyway, in this country, these false preachers, the person will go up to the false preacher and say, I gave you my $8, I gave you my $100, I gave you every penny I have, I'm not prospering, I have no food, I have no job, we're suffering, why are we still suffering? You promised us we'd do better. And he'll say, you bring in your children. You must have a sorcerer among your children. Now in Benin, it's real sorcery. Here, they're just picking out a child as a scapegoat for the excuse of why they're not getting, why they're not prospering by the false prophet. They bring in the children. They work over incantations over the children. They choose a child and say, this six-year-old boy, he has a spirit of sorcery. And they'll, they'll do horrible things to the child to drive out the false, fake spirit that's really not there. And then they'll throw the child to the streets. Can you imagine on a, in a city of like 18 million people, there are 20,000 street children. We're not talking about gangs, we're talking about children. 75% of which have been thrown out by a false church saying they are sorcerers, they are the witches of Congo. You can look it up online. What are you going to do about it? What are you doing about reaching these children for Jesus? And so 18 months ago, we actually invited another missionary couple to come to Congo to help us do some training of pastors against the prosperity gospel that is so rampant there. Actually, you can go into some churches there, so-called churches, and they have a price list of the prayers that the pastor will pray for you and the dollar amount next to that prayer, what you have to pay in order for him to pray for you. And so we were there to do some training uh, together, and we took off on about a 10 or 12 hour uh, vehicle uh, car ride into the interior. And about three hours into the trip, our chauffeur, our Congolese chauffeur, lost control of the vehicle. We were going about 60 miles an hour down a, down a straight road. We're not sure really what all happened, but the car rolled three times. Our missionary colleagues were ejected from the, the vehicle and died as a result of their injuries. And what happened was, I was texting somebody on my phone, does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. And I looked up and I knew we were going to roll. And the only word I could get out of my mouth was Jesus. And we just bang. It was an extremely violent, 60 miles an hour, as, as bad as you see on television, just rolling over and over. And like Jeff said, our friends were ejected. Our, well, Kathy, she's the IMB missionary, she died immediately. She got smashed on the road. Randy died soon afterwards. You know, there, would, there wasn't time for me to say more than Jesus. If Randy and Kathy hadn't already given their lives to Jesus Christ, if they hadn't fully surrendered to Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives and believed in the forgiveness of sins, believed they were going to heaven, they never would have had time in that accident to make that confession of faith. You think you might have all the time in the world. You don't. You might leave here today and get an accident. And I don't want to scare you into surrendering your life to Christ. But don't believe the false narrative that you have all the time in the world. You don't. 
And so uh, the vehicle landed on its uh, four tires after rolling at least four times, we think. And I fell out of the vehicle on the right-hand side of the car, and I lifted up my arm. And uh, all the skin from my forearm was flapping down here like a flag. And I was thinking to myself, uh, this is not a good situation. In the middle of the Congo, uh, not much bush. medical care. Some good Samaritan stopped. They loaded us up into a car, took us to a nearby bush hospital with no electricity, no water, basically no medicine. And somebody took a bottle of water, poured it over my open wound. No soap. It was, a, it was like dirty old grandma's, great grandma's basement. And uh, they sewed me up without anesthesia or medicine for an hour and a half. Now here in the States, they always ask you, well, what's your pain level? Well, uh, I can't even describe what mine was like. Uh, it was horrific. I didn't realize at the time, and neither, neither did they, that my lung was collapsed, multiple broken ribs front and back, dislocated and fractured shoulder, and my forearm was what they called degloved. There, there was no skin on it. And, and my arm was all busted up. My, my wrist was busted up. We can tell you some funny stories in a sense. And I look back, some things are kind of funny. But you know, when I, you're so dizzy and filthy, I mean, the dirt that was on us was incredible. And as I could finally, I was just praying and praying, praying for Jeff, and Randy was still alive at that time. And as I could step up to walk over to Jeff, and, and he's laying on a mattress that's all shredded, and his blood is soaking into the foam rubber that's dirty. And I walked over to him, and his blood is puddling on the floor, and it's dripping on my foot. I tell you, those are images you don't forget. But praise God, we have a God that can heal all hurt and all trauma. And so, long story, super short, uh, we were transferred to Kinshasa, didn't get much help there. We're medically evacuated to South Africa, a four-hour airplane ride uh, to get there. And over a period of a year, I've had seven surgeries. I have a titanium shoulder now, three skin grafts, and uh, my, my hand still doesn't quite work. But all through that whole process, our, one of our main concerns was, will we be able to fulfill the calling that God has on our lives? Can we go back to Africa? And praise God, this past June, uh, the medical things were finally finished and we were able to go back and we are continuing to serve him. What is the calling that God has on your life? How does God want you to be obedient? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus Christ? Are you willing to lose the capacity to, well, to use your right hand for Jesus Christ? In ministry before him, are you willing to lose your life for Jesus? Until you are willing to lose your life for Jesus, you aren't really living for him. How are you standing up for him today in this society? What is God calling you to do? We got a message just yesterday from one of our leaders over in Africa that there is a man who is a, he was a Muslim believer. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. And in one of our countries, the other Muslims have just grabbed him, put him in chains, and they've left him out in the Sahara Desert. What are you willing to do for Jesus? We are willing to die. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11 is the story about the temptation of Christ. Right after his baptism, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord took Jesus out into the desert where he uh, didn't eat for 40 days and 40, night, 40 nights. And the enemy, the devil, came to tempt him. Right? Y'all know this story maybe? 
And uh, the devil said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to ch change it into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the next scene is that uh, Satan takes Jesus to the temple and puts him on the, the summit of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off because it is written. Satan, Satan quotes scripture. He says, it is written, God will send his angels to gather you in their arms so that your feet will not hurt or, or uh, hit against the pavement below. But Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And the temptation story continues. And we were telling this story in Burkina Faso, doing some training. And we were, had a time of questions and answers afterwards. And one of the young pastors there, a man that didn't know how to read and write, but heard the stories and was understanding what the Spirit of God was telling him, he, he got up and he said this, I realized something from that story today. He says, I know that Satan knows God's word, but he's not obedient. Because Satan quoted scripture to Jesus trying to get him to fall to temptation. And then I began to think, and I wondered about this. If we know God's word, if we know God's word, but we're not obedient, who do we look like? What is God asking you to do? Do what you're good at for the glory of God, but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God so that Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 will be fulfilled, that there will be people around the throne worshiping the Lord from every nation and tribe and people and language. What is it that God's asking you to do? What's the last thing that God's asked you to do to be obedient, but yet you've not stepped up and said, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do?